0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Happy Monday
1: for all our mothers joining us today. I hope you had a wonderful day yesterday. Know that we appreciate you and uh, the sacrifices that you make each and every day. It was interesting to see how Mother's Day was used as the backdrop by those who are angry about the draft opinion of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade.
2: This is about... Uh, something so serious and so personal and so disrespectful of women. Here we are on Mother's Day, a week where the court has slapped women in the face.
1: It was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on CBS' Face the Nation yesterday. Protecting life and motherhood is a slap in the face of women? Well, she didn't stop there.
2: Let's just be prayerful about mm-hmm. this. This is a, this is a, a, about respect for privacy. What's next? What's next? What's next? Uh, marriage equality, what's next? uh, Do you need to write bills to enshrine those
1: things? Let's be prayerful about killing unborn children? Well, spurred on by the outrage of their leaders, the homes of Supreme Court justices have become protest points for the left.
0: Do you think the progressive activists that are now planning protests outside some of the justices' houses are extreme?
2: Peaceful protest? No. Peaceful protest is not extreme.
1: That was uh, Fox News' Peter Ducey, who was uh, asking White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki that question. What happens when these protesters drop the peaceful from their protests as they target churches and pro-life organizations? Well, state officials are pledging to uphold the law, something uh, the folks here in Washington are having a tough time with. So how will they do it? We'll talk with Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton in just a moment. And speaking of violence. Hate or violence do not advance any cause. And unfortunately, we're investigating the fruits of hate and violence in the form of an arson where a specific nonprofit group was targeted for their beliefs regarding the issue of abortion. That was Police Chief Sean Barnes in Madison, Wisconsin, where an FRC-affiliated organization, Wisconsin Family Action, was set on fire early Sunday morning. We'll talk with the president, Julaine Appling, a little later here on Washington Watch. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen the police cars with the words, In God We Trust, on them? Well, I'm sure you've seen many because agencies across the nation have been putting the nation's motto on their vehicles for more than a decade Well, the city council in New Haven, Kansas, apparently has an issue with the motto and has ordered the police chief to remove In God We Trust stickers from all police vehicles. What the devil is going on in New Haven? Well, we're going to find out when we talk with Pastor Chris Powell, pastor of New Haven Baptist Church. Finally. In three weeks, leaders will come to Geneva for a critically important World Health
3: Assembly. The theme will be a health will be held for peace and peace for health.
1: That was the Director General of the World Health Organization, Tedros Ghebreyesus. The Biden administration is apparently fast-tracking new standards for responding to a global pandemic that actually put national sovereignty at risk and could impact your family. I'll talk with Michael Alexander with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms later here on Washington Watch, so stick around for that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you that I would encourage you to check out. Today's Bible verse comes uh, from Judges, chapter 16, verse 21. It's the count of Samson and Delilah. It says this, quote, Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison, end quote. Samson became a captive of the very people God had called him to prevail over and deliver his nation from. Now, this happened not because of a lack of ability or opportunity, but because of Samson's personal choices. You know, God has created each of us with a purpose, but we must choose ourselves how we will live. So choose wisely. To find out more about how you can join the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Pro-abortion activists got busy over the weekend holding protests outside the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices and disrupting church services out of anger over the leaked draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. Threats made against churches ahead of the weekend prompted Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill to press U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to marshal resources to protect those churches, something that my next guest has done for houses of worship in his state. Join me now to talk about the left's coordinated campaign to disrupt, intimidate, and even attack is Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson. Attorney General Paxson, welcome back to Washington Watch.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, Tony.
1: So what is your reaction to what we see happening from the left in response to this draft opinion?
0: You know, it's, it's sad that we're in this situation. I've certainly never seen it happen where an opinion was leaked uh, to the public before it came out. So that's, that creates issues, obviously, for the, for the court, and, and obviously they're, they're being pressured from outside sources to change that opinion. I hope that they stick with what the right decision is here, which I believe they got it right if, if that draft opinion is accurate. And I do think it's important that people do have the right to protest. I, I have no problem with First Amendment exercise of, of people's First Amendment rights. However, they have no right to threaten violence, they have no right to threaten property, and they have no right to threaten people.
1: I agree 100%. I think they have every right to to protest. You and I have defended that, that freedom that people have to speak on. I think it's very important in a republic that people have a right to gather, to seek redress of their grievances. However... I think the line stops when they begin to barge into churches and uh, disrupt churches, or they threaten someone in their home. Uh, there is a line at which, when you cross, the protest is no longer peaceful. But it doesn't appear that the Biden administration is ready to enforce that red line.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and there's there's no doubt if it, it were if the shoe were on the other foot, they would be screaming bloody murder if 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 they were in the same situation. The fact that they have really no complaint about the leaked opinion, which they would otherwise, if they if they agreed agreed with that opinion, and the fact that they haven't spoken out again against some of the the potential threatened violence and harassing these Supreme Court justices, I guess is no surprise to me, and probably not a surprise to you.
1: So, General Paxton, um, I know that you've been leading other attorneys general on a number of issues c- confronting this administration and their overreach. H- has there been conversation among you and your colleagues about def- protecting the rights of uh, men and women of faith who are going into their churches to worship and having those services disrupted?
0: You know, we, we certainly tried to do that during COVID in my state. My, my office was very quick to put out guidance on, on whether churches could be shut down and whether the government could have that influence, but as far as this new issue of of these pro-abortionists targeting churches, no, I don't. We are just beginning to see that, and my guess is that we'll very quickly be discussing what we can do as attorney generals. And you should know there were twenty-four of us. Uh, Texas leading the way on this uh, Dobbs case. We worked that they'd gotten this wrong, that they had gotten it wrong for decades, and that they should let the states make this decision. So. I am pleased that the the Supreme Court is moving in that direction, and and it looks like it's going that direction with this opinion.
1: Well, I would think in this draft opinion, uh, the the, uh, opinion written by Justice Alito is exactly along the lines that uh, you and your Republican colleagues put forth in your uh, brief.
0: Yeah, we made the argument that the court should have never stepped into this, that they had no right to step into it. It isn't part of their duty to make up law, which everybody knows they did. And that because of that they've they've had to keep they've kept they've kept changing it based on changing science and changing situations, changing justices, and so there's no certainty in the law for states and they should just let go of of running the show on this and being a little legislative branch of their own and let local states make that decision, let people vote with their feet.
1: Yeah, I want to go back to this issue of protecting houses of worship uh, and i've I've actually spoken to a, a couple of your Republican colleagues. Uh, about the 1994 uh, Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which was signed by Bill Clinton, face it was uh, designed to go after pro-life protesters. But I believe it was the late Orrin Hatch that actually amended it to include houses of worship, making it a federal crime to interrupt or disrupt or block entrance to a religious service. Now, obviously, we know the federal government's not going to enforce that, but it does allow for state attorney generals to, uh, attorneys general to uh, enforce this from a civil perspective. So it might be something that uh, as you get together with the other attorneys general that you take a look at actually using a law that the pro-abortion community tried to, uh, to go after pro-lifers as one to protect people of faith from the same type of disruptions.
0: Well, I don't think so far we've had that issue in Texas. It wouldn't surprise me if we do. And we certainly are open to protecting houses of worship. Clearly, again, part of our First Amendment right is to be able to worship freely. And other people shouldn't be able to prevent you from doing that. Just as they have the right to protest, they don't have the right to pre- prevent people from, from worshiping.
1: I, I w- just from a stepping back, uh, General Paxton, to um, you know more of an observation standpoint, When you see how the left is reacting to this opinion, does this not point to the issue of abortion being so much more than simply a policy issue for them and and for really for the nation? This is really an issue of moral direction that this nation will take. And I think this is a pivotal moment for our nation.
0: No, I think you're exactly right. I think we faced this during the uh, the slavery battle. And our country had a civil war over a very similar issue. And, look, it was divided in this country. And, fortunately, we moved in the right direction. And I think that I have a lot of hope and optimism because of the Supreme Court decision, because of the fight that so many Americans have, have gone through over the last, you know, 50 years to try to overturn this. And I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of all the people because we need all of us to fight this fight, protect the unborn. And I'm actually optimistic about the future. I know that science is on our side. I know that the truth is on our side, and I truly believe that, you know, God will help us in the right direction if we ask Him to. And I I truly believe this is an issue that He cares about.
1: Well, I think to your point, uh, you know, looking back, and I'm I'm not uh, the expert that you are when it comes to the jurisprudence of the Supreme Court, but uh, as I appreciate history. Next to slavery, this is probably would be the most significant reversal of the court on an issue.
0: No, and I think that's interesting that you bring that up. We had the Dred Scott decision, which was clearly decided the wrong way that didn't protect uh, people of, of color from for, under the Constitution, not protect their rights. And that was wrongly decided. We all look back that, on that. know it was wrongly decided. It was it was made up. And, and there's no doubt that the Roe v. Wade had no precedent. It had no law behind it. It was made up. And it was a political decision made by the court, and it shouldn't have been done. And, and and this decision to overturn that is the right decision. And, look, that doesn't mean the battle's over. We are right. still in a battle for life. Yeah. In every state in the union, and we will be probably the rest of our lives. But at least we have a chance to have our elected representatives decide that and influence them appropriately to vote the right way.
1: That is absolutely uh, correct. Attorney General Ken Paxton. always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
0: Hey, thank you. Have a great day.
1: All right. You know, he's absolutely right. This is not the end. It's the beginning. But I will encourage you once again to make this an issue of prayer. And we've got some prayer points here at the Family Research Council. We sent those out to churches across the nation over the weekend because I believe, and I've said this before, and it bears repeating, is that, you know, we've prayed for, we've worked for, you know, repentance, a turning away from abortion. And that's exactly what the Supreme Court is teeing up here. Is, is changing its mind and moving in the other direction. Now, it does, it does not overturn Roe, as some on the left said, in terms of making abortion illegal all, all across the country. It allows states, and a number of states have already put in place trigger mechanisms that would make it illegal. About half the states would embrace life. And then we continue to have our, our, our work to do in terms of changing the other states and helping those mothers and those families. Adoption care pregnancy centers all the rest all right don't go away we're going to come back with more here on washington watch as we look closer at the response of the left
4: are you struggling to spend consistent time in god's word then join family research council on an exciting journey through the bible frc's two-year bible reading plan helps you to approach daily bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, We'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a Biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions.
5: At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a text subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742.
1: All right, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned, early uh, yesterday morning, the Office of Wisconsin Family Action was attacked by arsonists who broke the windows and then threw a Molotov cocktail inside. Uh, That apparently didn't work, so they set another fire and burned part of the building. They also vandalized the building with threatening messages like this, quote, if abortions aren't safe then you aren't either. Uh, but our friends at the Wisconsin Family Action are unfazed by yesterday's attempt to intimidate. Look, this is not new. This is not new. We've seen this increasingly. I mean, we, 12 years ago, we had a, a, a gunman come into FRC in our building in Washington and shoot one of our people. They want to intimidate. They want to silence because they can't defend their positions. But here's the reality. Just as as we are, our friends in Wisconsin And family policy councils across the country are even more resolved into standing for what is right. You know, because when you see this type of opposition, it only affirms the fact that you're taking the right position. Because if you're if you're not facing any opposition, then you really need to question, are you doing anything that matters? Well, the folks in Wisconsin are doing things that matter. Join me now to talk about this. Julian Epling. She, Appling, she is the president of the uh, Wisconsin Family Action. And, uh, Jelaine, we welcome you to Washington Watch.
2: Thank you, Tony. It's really good to be with you. Well,
1: it's good to see you again, and I'm glad you all are safe um, and know that you are in our prayers. But we're we wanted to communicate. We're grateful for your leadership and the fact that, uh, you know, they want to target you. But you're right back there at work standing for uh, the unborn, standing for the sanctity of human life. Uh, We're grateful for your leadership. Uh, Just tell, uh, if you can, tell tell our viewers a little bit more about the attack that took place yesterday.
2: Well, you know, first of all, Tony, I'm just going to tell you the minute that I heard about this. One of the first things that crossed through my mind was I remember that day in August, as you said, 12 years ago when that gunman came into the offices there of the Family Research Council on G Street in Washington, D.C., and I immediately thought of you all, and I thought, boy, I'm so grateful that at this point, there was no one in our office when this took place because it took place not in broad daylight, but in the early morning hours of of good of, of Mother's Day of all times, you know. Um, so what, what happened was I, I was doing what I do every Sunday, right? I was at church. I was getting ready for a ladies brunch and 120 people were coming in for a brunch celebrating Mother's Day. And I got a call from the building management team here in, that we lease our space from. And he told me that there had been this breach of of security into our office and that they had broken windows and thrown two Molotov cocktails into the office. And you can see the damage there. You're seeing the picture there. One de- one went off and the other did not. But so they started a fire on the bookshelf or at the windowsill there that you can see. I had all those books that are on the floor there were were yeah. at, on that windowsill. And apparently that was one of the best things we could have done because the books absorbed a lot of the direct you know, conflagration right. it didn't immediately go up in flames because of that.
1: Well, I, I see actually there on on the floor, my book, Personal Faith, Public Policy. I'm going to get <laughs> you a new copy of that. Uh, it, Thank you. <laughs> it, it, it appears, of course, um, from some of the graffiti that was there, that there was some anti-law enforcement messages that were there as well. Um, how has the authorities responded to this?
2: Well, that's a good question. You know, uh, the chief of police of Madison, of course, I I, I beg our our viewers to remember, this is Madison, Wisconsin. We're known for being a liberal city. We we put our office here on purpose (laughs) because we want to be in the heart of it. But um, the chief of police issued a statement the other day, yesterday, that actually was just ridiculously bad. But the individual law enforcement personnel that we dealt with, Tony, I thought they did a very nice job. We dealt with two te- detectives yesterday. We had two members of the from FBI uh, FBI service agents here. We had someone from the.
1: I think we may have lost the. Tell you this, there.
2: not from anyone, not a single interne- a single person has said. We call for a full and immediate investigation into this crime, and we want to prosecute the the perpetrators immediately and swiftly bring full justice. No, no one has said that. The president of the United States has weighed in. The governor has weighed in. The attorney general here in Wisconsin, the chief of police, and and anybody else. I've not heard any of that from anyone about this.
1: That's that's the, uh, you know, one of the downsides of these blue states where there seems to be a lack of understanding that the law is there to be enforced. And, of course, as you said, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, we've seen other outbreaks of uh, lawlessness that has gone unchecked. Um, but I, again, I, I want to commend you for for being there, staying in that spot and being a, a, a light in a, a really a, a dark culture. How can our folks, you know, our viewers all across the country be praying for you?
2: Well, thank you. And first of all, I can't imagine doing anything other than showing up. You know, and, and that's what we do, right? We show up and we do, we speak truth to power. We speak, um, we, we shed light into dark places. So thank you for the opportunity to share the message. Uh, they can contact us through our website at wifamilyaction.org. They can send us an email at info at wifamilyaction.org. They can check us out on social media, on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, and there might be some others too, but I've kind of lost track of where we are in social media sometimes. Um, thank you for, for encouraging people. We do know that there are going to be some significant costs r- related to um, getting us back where I can actually occupy my office. I haven't even been in there today. The glass is everywhere, Tony. I mean, it's just everywhere. Um, so we've got a major cleanup job ahead of us, but honestly i am so honored and humbled to do this work and to be a voice for for people all across the country and i want to thank the family research council you all were one of the first ones to contact us put out a statement uh, you you know how this goes because you've experienced it so thank you for your leadership and uh, for, for over these years and for uh, bringing the message of hope and truth and life everywhere across America.
1: Well, Jillian, we appreciate you and you've been at this for a long time and you've been faithful. And I'm going to tell you the Family Research Council, we're going to stand with you financially to help make sure that you are back up and running at 100%. So uh, thanks thank for uh, continuing to stand right there in uh, Madison, Wisconsin.
2: Well, thank you. It's a time for all of us to be bold, right?
1: It absolutely is. And you're doing that. Thanks so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you, Tony. God bless.
1: And folks, uh, we're going to do that. And I would encourage you to pray for them. And uh, look, these are folks, and there's about almost 40 of these in states across the country. And if you're not connected with your family policy council, you need to, because they're doing what uh, we do here on the national level. They're doing at the state level. All right, coming up next, talking about what's happening at the state level in Haven, Kansas. City council apparently doesn't want God around. We're going to talk about it next. To Washington Watch, I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website's TonyPerkins.com. I I, I mentioned in the last segment I was talking with Julaine about the uh, the shooting at FRC. That was 2012, so it was 10 years ago, not uh, 12 years ago. Uh, But anyway, last week, the City Council of Haven, Kansas, voted to order the department, the police department of Haven, to remove from police vehicles decals with the phrase, In God We Trust. Now, this is something that police departments across the country have been doing over the last decade. Now, it's something that was recently done in Haven. uh, But now the police are told they have until the chief was told until he has until May 16th to remove the decals. Now, you know, what's going on? Well, with me now to talk about this is Pastor Chris Powell, uh, senior pastor of New Haven Baptist Church in Haven, Kansas. Pastor Chris, welcome to Washington Watch. Pastor, can you hear us?
8: I can't seem to hear anything. Okay, let me talk louder. Okay. It's, it's very, uh, very uh
1: All right, we're going to get you on by phone then. We're going to connect with you by uh, by phone because I'm going to get uh, Pastor Chris's take on what is unfolding there. Because as I mentioned, there's probably 300 different agencies across, uh, law enforcement agencies across the nation that have put these decals on their vehicles over the last decade. I mean, this is the national motto, In God We Trust. And here in in New Haven, or Haven rather, I'm sorry I said New Haven earlier, but it's Haven, it's New Haven Baptist Church. But the Haven City Council said that uh, this was an issue of separation church and state. this is the nation's motto. And as I said, almost 300 other agencies across the country have this. So how can it be a problem there? Well, I think we have Pastor Chris back on. Pastor Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. uh, Give us uh, some explanation as to what's happening. What led to this vote of removing In God We Trust from the police vehicles?
8: Yeah, well, I think it was a a decision that certainly surprised a lot of people and uh, quite frankly was done uh, very rapidly, and uh, a lot of people, it took them a little time to kind of process the decision that had been made. Um, uh, I don't think that this, uh, you know, decision reflects our community as a whole, Um, but uh, unfortunately, I've learned that part of the issue was about only 15 percent of our people voted in our last election, and so it's tough to get a fair representation of how the people of the community truly feel when, when uh, voting numbers are so low. Um, it, it seems to me that, that there's a, a small group that happened to just be in the right position to, uh, who made a decision and, and kind of pushed that decision through. And it, it seems to me that uh, there's a large portion of, of our community that uh, are uh, prepared to uh, do something about that.
1: So are you basing that on reactions that you've seen since the council made this decision?
8: Yes, uh, there there has been a, a, a large presence on social media. Of course, in a community our size, uh, I've talked and had conversations with several people who have uh, told me that they, they plan to be at the next city council meeting. Uh, whether they're approaching it more from a political angle or a spiritual angle, there are people all across that spectrum who have certainly taken exception um, to that and and certainly don't appreciate the perception that that the community of Haven, um, you know, doesn't want God uh, um, talked about or discussed or included. uh, And, uh, you know, I would feel that that was very much not the case for our community.
1: Pastor Chris, that's what caught my attention because I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, and I know what these small towns are like. I mean, they're Uh, You know, they're God and country. I mean, they're all about the things that really made this nation great. And to see um, something that is, as I said, so prominent across the country, uh, this these um, stickers on police cars that say, in God, we trust the national motto for a council to say those had to be removed just seems so far outside the norm.
8: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Like I said, I think. Uh, a lot of people were, were caught off uh, guard by that. And, uh, you know, again, especially uh, from, a, you know, a political angle, of course, from a, a spiritual side and and from a church, uh, from a pastor's perspective, when you look at things like church attendance, even in smaller communities where, where God is thought much more of, certainly, than um, in other parts of the country, you know, you can kind of see those things headed in that direction with, the number of people involved in a local church or, uh, or, you know, being a part of them on some level. And so um, a lot of people were caught off guard, and it did catch me off guard to a certain degree. But uh, at the same time, you know, I think in our country we can kind of see um, that when the degradation of the church and the family unit begins to happen— that things like this become more prominent, even in places you wouldn't expect.
1: So very quickly, we're up against a break, Pastor Chris, but could this not be a catalytic moment, one of those uh, catalysts that uh, prompts people to get more involved, um, speaking out, voting?
8: I absolutely believe that this will be one of those moments uh, that people uh, clearly understand that their voice in their community matters uh, to be reflected and Um, I I absolutely – there's already been discussions about when elections will occur, when uh, city council seats will be available, and uh, I absolutely could see um, and and I think we will see uh, a much bigger uh, group of people interested in, uh, in that sort of thing.
1: Well, Pastor Chris Palway, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you for uh, serving there in Haven and uh, for joining us today here on Washington Watch. We're going to be uh, tracking this very closely, so I'm sure we'll talk to you again. All right. Thank you, sir. And, and, and folks, I know we've got a lot of listeners uh, there in that area because we blanket the, uh, the state of Kansas. And so, you know, if you live in the area, and, and don't think that this would be contained. This is the kind of stuff that spreads like a cancer. I have all the contact information for the Haven City Council at TonyPerkins.com. And uh, it would be easier to get it there than me to give it out to you uh, on the air. So go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can get that contact information. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with more after this.
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications.
9: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, and the website TonyPerkins.com. All right, again, uh, at uh, the website TonyPerkins.com, I have a link that will take you over to the Haven City Council, and all of the contact information for uh, the members of the council is there. It has their uh, email address as well as their phone numbers. And I would encourage you, especially if you live in Kansas, but don't, I mean, this, like I said, this is not something that stays contained in one spot. And it really needs to be addressed. The actual can- council member, I didn't go into the details, but the council member who made this move uh, made the motion to remove these In God We Trust uh, decals from the police vehicles with Sandra Williams. Now, I will give you the the number to the council the phone number to the council, the office number is 620-465-3618. That's 620-465-3618. But I would encourage you, again, go to TonyPerkins.com and get the contact information. Be be, be Look, be very civil. Uh, you know, I, I don't want you doing what the left does and going camping out in front of these council members' houses. Um, but you, you have a right, especially if you live there in Haven City, to communicate. As the pastor was saying, Pastor Chris was saying, only 15, that's shocking. Only 15% of the community voted in the last election. No wonder these types of things happen. That is shocking. I I think uh, we need, I'm going to follow back up with Pastor Chris. I need a community impact team that FRC puts together there in that community. And that church needs to actually elect, you know, four or five members of this council and make sure this kind of nonsense doesn't happen again. But you have to get involved. You have to be involved. or These things will, as I said, spread like a cancer. We have a responsibility to speak out on these things. So, again, go to TonyPerkins.com, follow the links over to the Haven City Council, and respectfully, and I emphasize that, respectfully encourage this council to reverse course and do the right thing. All right. After giving cover to the Chinese Communist Party and then sitting on their hands when COVID-19 was beginning to spread, the World Health Organization is looking to grab more power and authority for future international health emergencies. Now, remember, the Trump administration was wanting to defund them and move America, the U.S., out of participation with the World Health Organization because they were so bad. Well, now they are doing two things to fast track or two different uh, tracks they have going here. One is a global accord, which whose decision making body, the World Health Assembly, has been working on since December. And the other is through major rule changes. This is the fast track to the international health regulations. And the Biden administration is reportedly spearheading this. So here we go from one administration that recognizes the ineffectiveness of the World Health Organization, to an organization now that's trying to give them more power that may even undermine national security or national sovereignty and, with it, impact your family. Joining me now to go into greater detail on these two concerning developments is Canadian lawyer Michael Alexander, who is co-chair of the Law and Activism Committee of the World Council for Health and is a constitutional litigator at the Calgary-based Justice Center for Constitutional freedoms. Michael, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank
3: you, Tony. It's great to be here.
1: So just I, I want to start with just kind of a really elementary here so our uh, viewers and listeners will understand the powers or the authority that the World Health Organization currently has.
3: Yes. Well, something most people probably don't know about are the international health regulations. I mean, uh, I just found out about them a few weeks ago. Uh, Those regulations are um, an international agreement um, that really has not been publicized, but it's been in place since 1969. It was modified in 2005. And now uh, the Department of Health and Human Services is seeking amendments to the international health regulations that would drastically increase the powers of the executive of the World Health Organization and the director general in particular And this is all as a prelude to the WHO's proposal to create a new global treaty on public health, which will give even greater powers uh, to the director general at the expense of uh, domestic sovereignty. So uh, this is something that we have to alert the public to. And uh, in the middle of May, coming up uh, around May 22nd, the WHO will be meeting in an assembly to consider these international health regulations that have remarkably been proposed by the United States.
1: So, so Michael, what's happened in the last two years that has restored our confidence
3: in the WHO? Nothing. I mean, just to begin with, I mean, their funding model is, it guarantees conflict of interests. I mean, we all thought, I, I many thought, at least I did before this pandemic, that the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, the WHO, they're uh, independent, bureaucratic, neutral bodies, so to speak. Um, but in fact, they're all funded by big pharma and private economic interests. In fact, Bill Gates and the Gavi Alliance, which uh, he uh, founded and continues to fund, contribute over $1 billion a year to the WHO's budget of $7 million. So you think that doesn't translate into influence? Um, you'll have to think again. So we're looking at, in terms of the WHO, a, a dramatically conflicted organization which is serving its own interests as well as the interests of Big Pharma and Bill Gates. And so it's not thinking about the public interest, which is its goal or which is its main purpose in any way, shape or form.
1: Michael, anytime I hear the, the term global accord, I, I I get a little concerned <laughs> uh, because the, the values that we see emanating from the United Nations. Not that America is by any means uh, perfect these days, but uh, Mm -hmm. our our values seem to be a lot different than the rest of the world. And this uh, conflating of these values often uh, find their way into these global accords. What what do Americans – because Congress is not involved in this. This is something that's being done unilaterally
3: by the administration working with WHO, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's correct. In fact, the, the international health regulations, they're, in effect, a treaty, but they, they were never considered by the Senate. Um, in the U.S., the, the executive, in effect, the president, can um, ratify an international agreement and incorporate it into domestic law. And that's what happened with the IHR regulations to begin with. And now they're seeking to do this the same way. So, so they're trying to do it and then run around the House and the Senate.
1: So, Michael, give us some practical implications of this. How, Let's say, you know, and, and I've been saying this since the, the last, uh, you know, or since, I mean, we're I guess we're technically out of the pandemic, according to the administration, but we may be back in it. But another one's coming. So, how yes. would this, in a very practical sense, how would this affect states here in the United States uh, if this uh, the, these amendments are made to this agreement?
3: Well, first of all, you have to understand that the uh, uh, definition of a pandemic has been changed by the WHO, and this happened prior to the so-called uh, you know uh, coronavirus pandemic. It's uh, and previously, a pandemic was defined in terms of uh, differences between mortality rates with the seasonal flu, which worldwide would mean about 250,000 deaths per year, and, uh, and then an actual uh, public health emergency, which was defined as magnitudes of, uh, of mortality beyond the annual seasonal flu. So uh, WHO did away with that. So it's not, no longer tied to mortality figures which makes the thing very loosey-goosey and subjective at their end. Now, what's happened with the international health regulations is the U.S. is proposing that the director general have the right to unilaterally, I mean, in conjunction with his internal uh, staff, but of course that means nothing, uh, to unilaterally declare a public health emergency in a member state without that state's consent. Now, under the old regulations or the regulations as they exist at the moment, If a member state disagrees with what the director general says in terms of you have uh, an epidemic within your borders, you can say we don't agree with you and the matter comes to an end. But under these new regulations, the matter will not come to an end because the director general can tell the entire world, all member states and intergovernmental organizations, and I assume the press, that, for instance, the United States is ignoring the WHO's public health warnings. And so you'll see a tremendous a, a tremendous international pressure being, uh, 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 you know, uh, enforced against a country that disagrees with what well, it says.
1: Now, now, Michael, I know you've you've had your challenges there in Canada in, in this pandemic, mm-hmm. um, but here in the United States, we've had our challenges as well. In fact, all of Western civilization has seen this pandemic, quote unquote, pandemic, being used to limit. Uh, certain freedoms and, uh, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Absolutely. So we had in this country, we, you know, in our federalist system, we have states that have the ability to fight back to the federal government. So you're saying that under this, these new modifications, that if the World Health Organization says you've got a pandemic in the United States, that they would be able to force a a federal administration to take action, eclipsing not only the federal government, but, but the state
3: government to operate. Is that correct? Well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to force, but they'd be able to use any means of coercion that they could against a country who disagrees with their estimate or, 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 you know, their assessment of the situation. But this is just the prelude to what they're really working toward, which is a new WHO treaty, which is different than the international health regulations. And they want to sign a worldwide treaty that would transfer power from domestic governments to the WHO, such that the WHO could declare, for instance, that the United States has a pandemic. And the United States would have to put up with that and then take the measures domestically that are required by the WHO. So the treaty is really the bomb that they are trying to drop on the world.
1: Now, would that have to be ratified through our Senate?
3: It would have to be ratified by the Senate. So actually, it's approved by the Senate by a two-thirds majority right. you know, if, you know, if it can be, and then it goes to the president for ratification.
1: But they're trying to do this through the regulation just through influence of giving this uh, you know this authority to the WHO to declare this pandemic without That's the right. enforcement mechanism.
3: This is the first stage in the power transfer. Yeah. That's what the international health regulations are about. And so they set the stage for the second transfer yeah. that they are uh, seeking through this treaty campaign, so, which got underway in November of 2021.
1: So to borrow from the great philosopher Barney Fife, this needs to be <laughs> nipped in the bud right now. Uh-huh. Uh Yes. What, what very, do people need to be doing?
3: Well, at the World Council for Health, we have uh, declarations. We have open letters to the WHO uh, that inform people about what's going on. And people can download these letters and circulate them to friends, send them to uh, their government representatives, send them directly to the White House, and um, you know, take your stand against this. Now is the time to be lobbying your representatives, to be aware of what's going on, because many people in government are not aware of what's going on. Most of this is going on behind the scenes. There is no transparency here at all. So the transparency has to come from the outside. And so people have to get active. Uh, They have to take the initiative if they want government to pass on these terrible proposals.
1: And, and folks, I've got a link to Michael's site at TonyPerkins.com. You can follow links over and download the documents that he mentioned, the letters. But, look, you have an opportunity to talk to your members of Congress this is, you know, sometimes, Michael, what we find in, in our country is that if you simply shine a little light on it and let the administration know, we know what you're doing, uh, it makes it more difficult for them to do. We just saw this recently in some rules they were trying to pass on the whole transgender issue. We were able to get yeah. to, uh, them to back off because people were were watching. Now, this meeting is taking place of the WHO uh, in Geneva beginning on the 22nd of May. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. That's so. Correct. This is where they will entertain uh, these uh, amendments?
3: Yes. Yeah, so the World Health Assembly will vote on these amendments. And so the, the delegates who are sent to the uh, to the Assembly don't have the power to bind the governments they represent. But what they will do is uh, establish the, the basic terms of the agreement. And then it will be up to, for instance, Canada or the United States to agree to incorporate uh, those amendments into the existing uh, international health regulations or not. So it still depends upon a government decision. So this is why it's also very important for people to reach out to their governments now to object to uh, this wave of reform that's coming from the WHO.
1: But but as you said, a lot of this is actually being pushed by the Biden administration here for these changes to be made. Is that correct?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, 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 an assistant for the deputy secretary for a DHS. Lois Pace is the person who's pushing this. So you can look her up on the Internet, reach out to her and tell her that you disagree and you don't want her delegation to present this in this form to the WHO.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, and time is short, so we need to do that uh, right away. Michael Alexander, yeah. thank you for joining us today. Appreciate your work on this and in uh, sounding the alarm. Thank you, Tony. My
3: pleasure to be here.
1: All right. Uh, Michael Alexander, to find out uh, more uh, you can go to tonyperkins.com and i would encourage you to make total use of these resources that's why we put all of this on the the website so that you can act on it all right i'm going to say it again our republic was made not for spectators but participants and if you listen to washington watch you need to be a participant in government and that sometimes just making a phone call sending an email going to a town hall meeting praying Running for office could be any number of things, but do something, and our nation is in such a situation that we all we all need to be doing things, we all need to be praying, we all need to be involved to be engaged and I, again, want to encourage you to be praying for the Supreme Court as they move toward hopefully releasing that final opinion in the Dobbs case, which would uh, send the issue of roe v Wade back to the states, and we would see a majority of our states once again embrace life. Also, if you live in Kansas or elsewhere and concerned about the removing of In God We Trust, the nation's motto from the police vehicles, be sure and reach out to the Haven City Council. Folks, I want to thank you for joining us. It's always great to be with you. I encourage you, again, go to the website, TonyBergens.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared... When you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.